You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. This is the Thunder Quack Podcast. The official podcast of Thunder Quack Podcast Network where anything can happen. So strap yourselves in and hold on to your butts. It's Thunderquack time! Hello and welcome back to the Thunderquack podcast, the official podcast of thunderquack.com, which you can get every other Tuesday over at patreon.com slash thunderquack, just like our Patreon producers, Brian Mareski and JJ Samuel do. Or, uh, you know, you can be be lame and you can get it late every Friday on podcast services across the galaxy. I am one of your hosts, Michael Cohen. And I'm your other host, Amanda Conkin. I got to get that. I, I got to get into the rhythm of that every other, because it's, <laughs> Because we used to, I used to say every Tuesday, right? Every, like you get it early Tuesday. every Tuesday, oh, or, Tuesday or wait, yeah. but it's not every Tuesday, right? Because yeah. like all the, there's other stuff that goes into the feed sometimes. Like last week we we did uh, uh, what if season one, but uh, uh, sometimes it's the exclusive episode, like it will be next week, right? So like that, there's that's just an off week. There's just nothing there. So it's no the Thunderquack the Thunderquack podcast is every other Tuesday. Uh, so I just got, I got to, it's really thought, hard I th- when you've been. I just been... thought you, you gave the other ones as well early Tuesday, but I guess it's like always, you never really know what's going to happen every other Tuesday. They do get, so when, when they, when there's like an episode of enough said, or, or if I do uh, one of the other shows that, that does happen. They do get it early on Tuesday and then everybody else gets it on Friday for general release. But I, uh, but on the weeks where I do off the record, off the record is only for Patreon supporters at $5 and above, right? It replaced the ad free version of the podcast. So on those weeks, if you're just a podcast subscriber, if you're just subscribed to the feed, you just get nothing. You, you, you lose good day, sir. Right. Uh, do I, should I call out what that's a reference to or just let people who know feel superior? I'll do that. Good they day, sir. Know. I said good day. Wait. Yeah. Oh, now I forget what it is. Oh, do you forget? Okay. Do you need to know? Is it going to bother you? Uh, it's going to bother me because I can, I can say I'm saying it in my head. Wait, is it Fez? Who says it? Okay. Yeah. Uh, you put me in a tough spot. Yes, you are correct. Okay. You're you're referencing that '70s show. Yeah. Yeah. He does definitely say "Good day, sir" a lot. I, like "Good day, sir." I said "Good day, sir." Yeah. He's referencing <laughs> Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Oh. Yeah. He's okay. referencing. Gene I definitely Wilder. know it from that '70s show, and not at all from Willy Wonka. Have you never watched so. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Oh course i've seen i played willy okay. wonka in a community theater production you played um, willy wonka i played willy wonka i have pictures of me with a hat on i it, i would have turned that role down why because there's just because there's no comparing 
There are just some roles uh, that, well, you, that, I you, mean, that you just can't, it, you can't take. I them. was a, I was quite pleased that I got that role. It was very cool. How it was old were cool you? Play. Uh, like less than fifteen, maybe fifteen, fifteen um, or younger. I, I, uh, I was tall. I <laughs> when we did Faulty Towers, were you? That was. Yeah, you. That you, was before. Were, that was before. That was the year before I came. You was guys that the did year before? so many cool things the year before I came. You did Rocky Horror and you did Faulty Towers, I think. Wow. And then okay. we came, I came the year after. Oh, yeah, I guess that was eleventh grade. Yeah, when we did Faulty Towers, every all of the other uh, guys were like, "Oh, I want to be. I want to play Basil. I want to play Basil. I want to play Basil." Right. Everybody wanted to play Basil, and I was like. I specifically made the decision of like, I know that I'm not going to do, I can't like, I can't do justice to John Cleese and, 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 and nobody else did no, nobody else who, who, who played Basil faulty in that production. Cause there, I think there were three Basils cause that's how we did things back then. Um, so like different nights, different people would play him. I, I, or maybe, maybe we switched partway through the show. It was a long show. It was like a three hour show because it was dinner theater. It was, it was a whole thing. God, I miss that stuff. So good. <laughs> I, I specifically made the decision of like, I don't want any of the lead characters. Like, like, and, and I, and I went to the audition because it was the first time that, that, that uh, Ms. Rutherford ever like held auditions. Usually she just cast. Usually yeah, she yeah, just yeah. told you who you were. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She held auditions. And I was like, I went in and I was like, I, I sat down during the auditions. Cause I went with, with others that like friends from, from acting class, from drama class to support them. And, and I sat down next to her and was like, I don't, I'm not going to audition for anything. I don't, I don't, it's not that I, it's like, it's not that I don't want to get up and audition. Like, I, like I'll, if you want me to audition for something, I'll audition. It wasn't like, and it wasn't like an arrogance thing. It was like, I was just like, I will play whatever bit parts like, and I'll, and I'll play like three characters, which is what I ended up doing. I played like three different characters throughout the, the show costume changes and everything. Cause I was like, cause I'll have, I'll have a way better time and I'll be way happier with myself doing that than I would sucking at the lead. Right. Like, <laughs> like, like I, like I, cause I was like, I think like I, cause I could do it as well as anybody else who's auditioning, but I don't want to like, and, and also we had just done, um, Oh man, what's it called? The, uh, the best Christmas pageant ever is like, that's the title of, no. the, of the show. Because we did that one the year that I was there. Unless you did it two years in a row. Or no, unless she didn't. did it the year after you left and we did the... I just remember doing the best Christmas pageant ever. You guys might have done it the year after, like, the like the next We might have done cause, it because then she would have skipped a year. If that makes sense. We Because we definitely did it before Faulty Towers. Because that was one of the things is that I was I was the 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 brother in that is so like the, the, the two leads in that are, are both girls, but the like top build uh, uh, boy role was, was my role. So like, I had, I had a lot of lines and it was a lot of work and, and I loved it. It was great. And I had to sing bad, which was, which was awesome. <laughs> I, nice, but, it, nice. but really hard because um, 
it was so like like the the what the choice that I made was that was that the character I can't remember his name, but he couldn't like any you know like boy of that age like his like voice was cracking and he couldn't carry a tune so i was like so i i was doing stuff where like my my voice would go way way up in pitch back when i could actually do that and i uh, uh, just like the last remnants of being able to do it um and i had to like i did it the first rehearsal that that, that we did and 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 uh uh miss rutherford was like you can do that but you're gonna have to like you gotta you gotta belt it like because okay. when you go high pitch, it's really hard to project at that at that high pitch for for it to yeah. still be like yeah. legible words. You can make sound, but but because it's like it's it's like an introduction moment. Like it's 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 the first moment that that, that character has on on stage. So it's like what what he's saying is also important, not just the fact that I was going for a laugh with the bad singing. She was she was like, I, it's fine, you can do that, but if you do that, like like the the tech booth has to be able to understand you and right. i was like okay cool challenge accepted so it was like stuff like that and it was just it was uh, that one was a lot of work and so it was like coming off of that one i was like i don't want to i don't want to be i definitely don't want to go from that to basil faulty who like has to carry the whole show right, right yeah. so that who it's that who was, is so much work um who was basil Josh was one of them. Uh, Andrew Newton. I want to say Andrew Newton played Basil as well. Yeah. Look at that shout out to Penticton peeps. <laughs> yeah, and then and then and then one other. I, love, I, I think forget there's that this one is other. a podcast that people have to listen to, and it's not just me and Mike talking about. They love our it. Lives. They love it. You guys <laughs> love it. I hope. I hope it's okay. We actually are talking about really cool things today. So we I are going like, to. Yeah. Don't we're worry. Just we're just going to talk about Dune for the rest of the episode. Life. Oh but, my gosh. <laughs> but, but this is the thing is that like you get like every episode is somebody's first episode, right? You always have to remember that. <laughs> and then you have to deal with Mike and I talking about our high school. But it's really that. important that people who are tuning in for the first time realize this is not a review show. <laughs> we did that. We did that for eight years and we were st- not serious serious but like we had a format and we followed it and you know like we were very critical and it was not fun towards the end and this this show is fun we do this because we like to do this Uh, i do this because mike sets it up and i just show up that's why i do this and i get to talk to you about are you saying that once again amanda is saying she doesn't actually like to do this but i i you i i did not say anything I'm sitting here. You should. It's really funny though. If people knew how I was like, I'm just, I'm, I'm here. I'm just like, I'm totally here. But you're like one of the only people that I can talk to about this that knows what I'm talking about. I know. It's really weird. Um, I feel like I've talked about this on the podcast before too, but like if I ever woke up as a teenager, mm -hmm. which would just be the most terrifying thing ever. Cause who like a time travel situation, like a, like a time travel situation. Yeah. Mike is like the only person that I feel like I could go because I know I've know you from then and everybody else. I feel like I like know enough people. Maybe I could I could me and my sister were not close when I was in high school, but 
I don't know, Mike. Well, but, but you also need like... to. They, we've talked. To, we have talked about this on multiple occasions. You have to have somebody that you can go to, like like Marty goes to Doc Brown, where he knows, like he knows, it's gonna take a second, and I have to convince him. But I yeah, know that I will be able me. to convince him that yeah. this is what's happening, right? Yeah. You're the only person that would believe me. Yeah, and I, it would and be, I don't know. But here's you the have, thing, though. Yeah, is that I know a lot of who you are now. I actually don't know what I would say <laughs> to like be like. I know you really well, but I know nothing about fifteen year old Mike. I think so. you would be surprised the things that I've told you now about the way that I was feeling about things then that like Probably. I would not yeah, have told you know, anybody. Yeah. So it would be really easy for for you to it, it if you're writing the screenplay of this a moment would come where you would be in like we would be in the room together and something would be happening and you would be like you would know like like whatever I don't know what the circumstances would be I can't think of anything off the top of my head but but like there would be a circumstance where it's like something would happen and you would know that that's a moment where like I was like nervous or insecure or something like that, or I did something dumb and it's like, and you would know, you would know why I did the dumb thing or why I was really mean to someone, (laughs) which is, which is probably because of my insecurities and, and, and something that at that time I didn't realize, I just thought I was really smart. Um, It's the, (laughs) the, the Liz Lemon thing, you you know, like she remembers back to high school and it's like, she remembers everybody being really mean to her. And then she talks to people and they're like, no, actually like, like it happened you a different way. And it was actually that she was the super mean one. And it's like, Oh, that's I have those moments a show that I moment. also haven't seen that. I also haven't seen. Oh my gosh. Can we, I can't believe that we didn't open by talking about um, what happened on set of rust. I realized too, we're like, we, yeah, we should have done that in the post in the post show. Just because we brought ourselves there naturally talking about. Because Alec Baldwin is, yeah. Alec Baldwin yeah. is yeah. involved in it. But I do just, I feel like. I, I, I'm going to leave this one to you. You you, 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 you have, I think, I, not necessarily more to say, but I think that what you have to say is much more relevant than anything that I would say. So Well, I just, I just think that it's worth acknowledging. I mean, I imagine that the the listeners of this particular podcast have already been confronted with it in social media and on, in yeah. the news. Um, but just the, um, the, there was a loaded gun on a set that was, it was supposed to be a prop gun and it was handed to the actor and then it was discharged um, by the actor who thought that they were holding a prop gun and it uh, wound up killing uh, the DP uh, Helena Hutchins. And I have never said that out loud before. So I really hope that I'm pronouncing it right. Um, just been reading it a lot. Uh, and then it also injured the director because the bullet went right through her shoulder. Um, and it just, it's the, it's super upsetting, especially we, we, we were talking, I think on the last podcast about the IELTS strike uh, that was yeah. happening or the, the bargaining agreement that they were trying to reach. And uh, it's just such a timely conversation because for me, I, I literally I did a post about this, but for me, whenever I'm on set, I'm so anxious. And it was just this year that somebody asked me to try to articulate what it was. Like, why am I always so anxious? Because I produce mm-hmm. animation all the time and I'm not anxious, right? 
why am I so anxious when I'm doing live action? And it is, it's because I, I, t- I take the full weight of that as a producer on set, that anything that goes wrong on set is my responsibility ultimately. And for me, somebody was like, why? And I'm like, well, because somebody could die. Like there's just so many things that can happen on the sets that if you're not doing it safely, or if you're, there's just mistakes happen. And there are so many different stages that we have to try to keep people accountable and try to keep things safe and at any one point in time one of those could fail and you hope that you have the fail safes in place so that other people might catch it um and just learning more about what happened you realize that there was a lot of flags that went unheeded and the Mm -hmm. the mistakes that could have prevented this tragedy uh were not addressed or listened to and it just is it's just absolutely heartbreaking so i just anyways if you are looking for anything that you can do to sort of be more aware of this i will say there's a a lot of negotiations within iatsi themselves for like crew conditions and safety and all that jazz Mm -hmm. um so you can pay attention to that but also i found uh AFI is uh, the American Film Institute. It's a place that she went to school um, and they uh, set up a scholarship fund in her name, which I think is really, really awesome. So uh, just because it's it's a thing to just be able to encourage female uh, cinematographers. It's one of the most underrepresented on 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 uh, set roles for females. And uh, and I think it's just really great for them. And it was it just gave me something like an outlet for me to put put something towards and try to um to find some light in this tragedy. Um, but anyways, I just wanted to sort of yeah. address that because again, we, we got there and this is, uh, you know, it's a pop culture podcast and we talk about things that are relevant. Yeah. And I think that it's really relevant to know that there are real people making the things that we watch and that sometimes their safety is not necessarily heated. And that is a uh, very sad and unfortunate I, and it can lead to. Yeah. Death. I, th- I think one of the most interesting things, so I, a few points. First, I read a really great thread. I wish I I still had it or, or I had noted uh, uh, the, the the person on Twitter that, that wrote this thread. But it was a, a, the, the role, the person who handles firearms on set is called an armorer. Uh, and I. Uh, and so this guy, he, he wrote this, this incredible thread, so detailed about like, about that job, about that role on set and that that role isn't to make sure that the, that the director is getting what they want, like the shots that they want. That's not your job as the armorer on, on a, on a set. It, your job is as like, like basically the warden of safety with those firearms, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that real guns are used and they're used for, for a variety of different reasons. Um, but they, if you're doing your job properly, there is no one point of failure that leads to something like what happened on the set of rust, uh, to happen. Like it, there are multiple points where that safety, where those safety protocols have to fail in order to to even get to the possibility of that happening so so like sort of uh, his his perspective on it was like it, it, it didn't need to happen obviously uh and and yeah i mean if you if you've ever just, worked with yeah yeah i i mean th- there are really good like it's and gun laws are different in canada and um we have mm-hmm. uh props masters that need to be certified and it's a huge deal to be certified to be able to um 
use weapon like to be an armor in can i don't even know if it's called an armor but basically like a certified pop hmm. master that can that can deal with the guns and it's intense right like that stuff is locked up it is only touched by the actors it is never given to random people there's just it's yeah there's a lot of a lot of protocols and a lot of yeah. things on set and it is and you listen like that's the one thing that i will say for me, at least personally, like when I have first ADs on set, like if there is anybody, like we try not to raise our voices and we try not to yell at people, but the only person who is always excused, in my opinion, from yelling at somebody on a set is really, is it somebody that has to deal with the guns? If there's anybody yeah. that is treating a gun un unsafely, like that is just, yeah. I think the, the, the be all end all of this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and so one, one of the reports that I read today on Twitter, as, as sort of details start to come out about this, is that apparently, in between setups, there were individuals who were going and basically shooting cans with with the guns and and like, that's essentially, that's exactly what led to the situation. Um, and it's just, yeah, it like it's, be... it, it any active guns like that's just it, that's just the yeah. the 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 point that was made on that too i don't rem i don't know who tweeted the 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 that information that that uh that they were you know sh shooting cans in between takes or like in between setups and whatever but um uh the 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 tweet that that was because it was like a retweet and the tweet that that was on like sort of making the point about that was like, this is what happens when people treat sets like, uh, like, like, or film shoots, like, like, like fun, like parties and not like work, not like a, like a workplace with the same sort of etiquette and the same sort of protocol that you would take into your office job or whatever. Right. And I thought that that was really interesting that like that, and because that is definitely a perspective that I've encountered, it was definitely something that I wrestled with in film school, which is that like we'd be out there doing stuff and you'd have like half of the class uh, or your group or whatever that would be out there to like, like, hey, like we're we're shooting a project like let's let's get this done and like go do something else. Right. Like like we can we wrap this and then we can go like have a drink or you know i i wasn't legally old enough to but it's okay i went into the bar with them anyways but i i you know like it's like it's like like let's get let's get the job done let's let's get our stuff filmed and then we'll go get something to eat or we'll go hang out or we'll go to a movie or just you know do like hang out do do whatever um and then there would be the other half of the class that thought that like it was time to to sort of like goof off and and it's like oh we we got the cameras let's film some stupid stuff let's and and sometimes they turn those into their projects and made basically uh jackass videos there were a in my first year there were a couple of individuals who like that's specifically why they were going to film school so that they want like that's what they liked the jackass movies and like cky and stuff like that where they're like that's they just wanted to learn how to work the cameras so that they could make videos of people jumping off of roofs. Um, and it always pissed me off. I hated it because I was like, first off, like this equipment doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the school. Uh, and if it breaks, we're all screwed and I can't afford to, to, to pay for it. So don't screw around with the equipment. And then also like, like this is not like what you're doing is specifically not safe. That's the point of what you're doing. And it would just always 
it always bothered me. And, and so, you know, I always got the reputation as being no fun. I was like, you know, I really don't care. I, you know, and you, you, you know me, I don't, I don't care if idiots think that I'm a jerk. I, I, yes, I am a jerk to you. I'm very nice to other people. Um, but yeah, it, uh, that attitude is just something that's always really bugged me. And I don't know that I ever really articulated it well back then because I was 18, 19 years old. But but nowadays, I, it, it's, it, it is very similar to what you say of like, you know, like it's your responsibility, uh, safety and, you know, like somebody could die. That's and and guns don't necessarily even have to be involved. Right. Like, yeah, no. And I mean, there's just so many like the amount of things I remember. I will always I just love this because there's a reason why I do it. But I definitely had a had a DP look at me with like just because I glared at her mm-hmm. because she had just her socks on and was stepping across a, an open staircase to a ledge on the other side with her socks on to try to see if she could get a shot from there. And I was just like staring and she's like it's okay i got this and i'm like i don't care that you you could so easily slip and fall down this flight of stairs right now like it's not about you you think i know it's not like i think you're a toddler i don't i'm not like thinking that you don't know how to walk or that you it's that literally what you're doing is unsafe i don't care if you've done it a million times if you slip and fall right now i let you do this i let this happen i was watching you do it that's I know that you're an adult and you can take responsibility, but on a film set, like some of that becomes the, like who's, who's actually there. And you listen to your first ADs. And that's the thing that's the most heartbreaking for me because the first AD is such a, uh, it says everything about it. Like, I think that that's the the most important role. And I mean, I'm not a creative, I'm a producer. Right. And so obviously there yeah. are a lot of really important creative people but for me as a producer, especially on indie projects, the most important role is the first AD because it sets the tone for absolutely everything else. I think anybody who's ever been on an actual set, I think anybody who's been on a real set for a, for a serious project would agree that the first AD is the most important person. And, and the first AD, like when the first AD talks, everybody shuts up and listens because they, like, and they they do the safety things in the morning. Like they're in charge of people's safety. Right. And they like the fact that they, that, that, that first AD from what I can hear from the reports is that that's the person that handed the gun off. Like that for me, Mm. is just like a, that breaks my heart because they know if they don't know, if they don't follow the protocols and that's the thing too, like producers can do whatever they want. But if you find a producer that's just like, oh, I'm a producer, I can do whatever I want. It's like, you're not doing your job because the yeah. reason that systems are in place is so that they prevent accidents, right? And you're not always there and that's not your job. So even if you are the producer, there's no, you shouldn't get a pass. And that's the same, in my opinion, with like first ADs. It's- yeah. I think I think it's so interesting that this, that this happened. Um, I mean, it's just a coincidence, but, but last week, Ruby Rose, uh, had her tirade oh, yeah. on, uh, yeah. on social media about, about the conditions on the, the Batgirl, a Batwoman set. Um, sorry, I'm, there was Batgirl news today. I'm not, I am totally yes, we'll not meaning to Batgirl demean news. the character of Batwoman, no. but there, there was very big, very awesome, very exciting Batgirl news. We'll talk about that at, right after this and then transition into Doom. But I... I, she sort of like, like made all of these accusations and stuff. 
I, I, so I said immediately when it happened, I'm going to check with some people. And I did check with a couple of people who I know have worked on, on CW shows. Um, and specifically who've worked on Batwoman. And, and it was really interesting that it's like, she had that whole thing. She posted to Instagram or whatever, I think it was Instagram. And, uh, I, and it went wide. It got picked up and, and went wide and became the news uh, for that 24-hour news cycle in, in entertainment about, you know, how, how horrible it was on set and, and all of these things and how bad it was. And that that's why she left the show. And I when somebody whistleblows and that sort of thing, it's like we absolutely have to hear them out and we have to we have to take what they say at face value. Uh, un- until such time as like everybody else from the production steps up and goes, that's not, that's actually not what happened. So, I, and also I will also say in this, both things can be true. <laughs> right. The producers there, there can be a lot of unsafe stuff and a lot yeah. of uh, things and, that are problems. And st- yeah. Stuff did happen on the set of Batwoman. Um, and uh, I, I was, I think it was a producer uh, was was injured pretty seriously and left paralyzed. Oh, uh, that, I think it was no, it was a PA. Was it a PA underneath okay. a? Yeah, it was a PA that was paralyzed okay. under a um a lift. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a couple of days um, before COVID, like two days before they shut it down. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that could absolutely have been like a result of like, hey, they're about to shut us down. We gotta get some of this stuff finished and and rushing and and you know cutting corners and stuff like that like who knows like i like i'm totally willing to 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 hear that part of it but the it i think that it has worked in ruby rose's favor that this news happened immediately after because the story was starting to turn on her where a lot of people were coming out and going actually like like that other stuff aside the reason why ruby rose is not batwoman anymore is because she was fired <laughs> like no like she was awful on set there were multiple formal complaints about it like it's like she was apparently like a real uh i like dictator like kind of came in with this attitude of like i've made movies i've i i'm in john wick right like that sort of an attitude of like oh i've worked i've worked on the biggest action franchise ever with keanu reeves and i know how it's actually done and this isn't how it's done and and um and like I said, like I confirmed with some people, like the people that I that I know pretty well, that I've known most of my life, um, that have no real reason to lie about this. Like they've and 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 I'm not saying any names because I'm not gonna. I guess the technical term would be reveal sources, but I I I wouldn't want to put anybody's uh, 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 career in jeopardy in talking about this, but. But uh, but I definitely like two two different people that were like, oh, oh, she was not good to work with. (laughs) She was she was a real problem from like day one. So uh, so when other people started posting on social media of like, "Mm, that's not how everybody else quite remembers it. uh, It was like, okay this is interesting. And then and then this happened. the, The 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 accident on the set of Rust happened. And it was like, no one's talking about Batwoman. And it's like, and it just like disappeared from the news cycle. And I think it probably would have drawn itself out for the rest of the week. Um, had that not been the case, which, which I always think is like really, 
interesting thing because they're because at the end of the day both stories are kind of about the same thing and both kind of uh like 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 uh timely in the sense of of like you said the like the 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 IATSE strike and and these um conversations about working conditions on sets and and uh uh this attitude that you know 18 to 20 hour work days are just, like that hey that just comes with the territory if you don't like it don't work in film and it's like um actually no like everybody is entitled no matter what industry they're in to a safe workplace that's just yeah. that's how we do stuff in north america uh and and many other parts of the world and maybe it's not how it works everywhere but uh I think that we can agree that based on our ideals uh, in this part of the world, that's kind of how it, that's how it should work is that, is that people should, you know, I, I uh, be entitled to a safe working environment and working for 18 to 20 hours a day and then having to drive 50 miles back to uh, uh, your hotel in a, in a completely different like city is not when, when a production could put you up somewhere closer by um, that, uh, you know, cause, cause people, that's one of the things that I think people don't realize with a lot of film shoots. It's one of the things that Tom Welling, I, I actually, I mean, he didn't, he didn't fight for it. The rest of the cast of Smallville fought for him to get a driver and change the way that the CW right, yeah. would do things. Michael Rosenbaum talks about this a lot on his podcast uh, uh, about uh, like when, when, when he had Tom Welling on, but also like every time somebody from Smallville came on, they would kind of, it would kind of come up this thing of like, like Tom was working because he's in every scene. It's Smallville. It's a Superman show. He's Superman. He's in every scene. Right. Yeah. Um, very, very few moments in that show that he's not in. And so, you know, other people will be coming in and out and, you know, wrapping earlier in the day or starting their day later or whatever, working, working 12 hours. And he would be there for 20 and then he would get in his car and he would drive back to his apartment uh, and to go sleep for four hours and then get back up and, and come back out the next day, drive all the way out to Langley to, to shoot at the Kent farm, yeah, right? Ridiculous. Like yeah, all the way yeah. out to Fort Langley, which like is, it's a, it's a, it's a lot, it's a lot of driving and, and they fought for like, Hey, I, like he's the lead of our show. He's going to end up in a ditch, <laughs> which it, there's a bit of irony in that because that's how the whole series starts. But <laughs> um, not, it's not a ditch. It's a river, Jeez. but, but I, same, but same, 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 same. yeah, same, same. Um, but like Michael Rosemont was like, no, like, like, like this needs to happen for, like for, for Tom more than anybody, but like sort of for, for everyone. And they, so the CW kind of changed a lot of their, the way that they did stuff um because the cw I mean, not, is kind of not known too for... pervasively because not, kj no. appa got into a car accident on riverdale yeah. right for similar reasons where he, it was just like super late and they have yeah. to drive themselves and it's just yeah yeah know. well it's one of those things where i think if if you don't keep fighting for it eventually like yeah. the productions are businesses and they're going to they're gonna keep the costs down however they can Right. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just, it's just like any business, right? It, it, it's, I posted on Twitter the other day that, uh, cause I'm getting kind of sick of all the boycotts of everything, especially because, okay. Cause one of the big ones right now is, is, uh, 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 
Mr. Christie, the, the snack company. Oh, well, that's because they're striking. Yeah, no, no, no. I, like, and, and I'm boycotting. But the reason why I'm frustrated by it is that when I walk into the grocery store, there are two other brands of cookies to buy and they have they have a quarter as like combined. They have a quarter as much of the shelf space as Mr. Christie does with every other product. Right. Um, I, which is super frustrating. Cause it's like, well, what am I supposed to do? Just not buy cookies. Yeah. Mike, you're not supposed to buy cookies. You're a 36 year old man. Stop <laughs> acting like you need to have a cookie three times a day. You're, you're, a, you're a grown man. This is why you're 20 pounds heavier than you should be. I, uh, but hey, I had but, that same problem this weekend. I made myself a whole batch of cupcakes and I'm like, oh, I'm not God. going anywhere. I'm going to eat all these cupcakes myself. Th- thankfully, I, I came, yeah. myself about it. It was thankfully I came home on, on Saturday with a, with a batch of, uh, chocolate chip score toffee, uh, cookies that my mom made. Oh, with Kara and Cassie that during the day uh, and they're oh. delicious. And so I, I, it's not like I, it's not like it don't, don't worry guys. I have cookies. Don't worry. I'm fine. <laughs> and I, and I also, I bought some, I bought some, uh, uh, president's choice, uh, thin mint type things that are, they're all right. But, uh, but you know, like I miss my Oreos and my chips ahoy. Um, but like, I'm, I'm annoyed with having to boycott in order to support, uh, I workers because corporations by their nature are going to do everything they can to minimize the amount of money they spend on their workforce. It's the way that it goes. Right. And it's not, we shouldn't be, they shouldn't have to strike in the first place. We shouldn't have to boycott in order to support a strike because there should be legislation in place mm-hmm. to protect yeah. people in their workplaces from having to work hours that are too long or for wages that are too low or any of the other myriad labor concerns that people strike for. They shouldn't be problems in 2021. We should have representatives that actually care about our best interests, but instead we've created a system in North America specifically that protects corporations and takes advantage of people. Um, and, and the people who are responsible for that are the elected representatives who also happen to run those corporations. Right. And yeah. Okay. Oh, so I don't run the corporation. My son runs the corporation. Yeah. But you're drawing yeah. a, a, yeah. paycheck you know you, you're being paid a million dollars a year you know for for nothing for not even doing any work because you are a senator or a congressperson or whatever and you can't technically work for them but you do you do somehow still make money or you know your your spouse is being employed by the company that your family has owned for generations that is currently in the hands of your son Right. Like we people get away with it and and they're allowed to get away with it because the system is built in favor of them. And it's just like that. That to me is the thing that really pisses me off is that like we're supposed to have a democratic representative government both here and in the states that's, you know, 
we have parliamentary democracy up here and, and they have a, a democratic Republic down there and they operate in two very different ways. But regardless, the thing that's the same about them is that we are supposed to elect our representatives to represent our best interests, not to represent the best interests of corporations. And the longer we ignore that fact and boycott things and write petitions on change.org and think that like, that's how we're going to do it. It's like, that's not what's going to do it. We have to change the laws. That's like, that's what has to happen. And, and movie sets and TV sets being allowed to work people in the way that they are. They're all, they're always going to find loopholes. And there are people, there are lawyers whose entire jobs is like when a new law comes out, it's their whole job to figure out how do we circumvent this law, right? Which to me is like, that's oh, where lawyers get me, the bad reputation, but. You're making me realize that we could just talk about politics and still just call it a Dune podcast because everything it, about this, and I'm now, I'm watching Squid Game as well right now. I'm finally, I'm finally like watching it and I'm like, yeah, yeah it's about capitalism and how terrible yeah. human beings are. Everything, life and art and all of that imitation, yada, yada, yeah. yada. But everything that you're describing, I'm like, but how I just. It's absolutely what Dune is about. Depressed, yeah. Mike. It's making yeah. me depressed where I'm like, we just need a messiah <laughs> to come. But that's the problem. Well, that's the problem. Be- before we talk, before we talk about sandworms and, and messiahs <laughs> really quick, we did allude to the fact that there was big Batgirl oh, news today news. Yeah, that yeah, Brendan yeah, yeah. Fraser is, has been cast as Firefly uh, uh, in, uh, in the Batgirl movie. Somebody's which I'm just like recently was like Brennan Fraser has the best agent. <laughs> I'm just like, I yes, the yes. dudes just we're we're in the we're, uh, what do we do we have a name for it like 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 uh, I I like ra- uh, the oh Brennesans the Brennesans it's like a Brennesans I don't know that's that feels a little clunky it's it but that's I a, whatever I don't that's it, like a classic that's classic that's a classic like phraseology no i know it's the the that's what i was looking for is that but it's just i it's i want i feel like like, you need to get the phraser in there no no i just feel like you need to get the phraser in there somehow uh but i i in any case brendan fraser is having uh an awesome uh comeback that uh if you don't know the his story as i don't want to that's a whole episode unto itself um didn't we do this episode like a couple episodes did, ago? Did we talk? <laughs> no, episode. it's been we had, definitely mind. haven't talked about Brendan Fraser in a in a while, but um, okay. but he deserves attention and he he deserves admiration and he by all accounts is a wonderful human being, uh, and uh, and so I'm very happy for him to be in uh, in this Batgirl movie uh, that is that is apparently happening. I th- the thing with these DC movies is that it's like apparently this is happening apparently this is happening and it's like the flash is there like they've filmed uh parts of the flash we've seen a a teaser trailer we didn't even talk about that oh my god that just it makes me so mad because it's like i think the story that they've cooked up looks like a very cool story i just hate ezra miller and i definitely don't like his interpretation of barry allen um it's it's really tragic when we've got Grant Gustin. Well, I'm not watching The Flash anymore because they just have done the same storyline every season for the last. I think they're on season seven now, but uh, I and so I just tapped out. You you guys know 
we stopped doing Arrow. I tapped out. I tried to keep at it with uh, with Legends. The only show that I'm current on is Superman and Lois. And and here's the thing about Superman and, Superman and Lois. It is very pointedly not part of the rest of those shows. And I know, like, I can hear Andy telling me right now. It's like, no, it is. I mean, Diggle was on it. And it's like, yeah. But Tyler Hawkland's not going to be on the series finale of Supergirl. And she hasn't even been mentioned by name in Superman and Lois. Really? Wow, so it's like, yeah, the, there, there, there was one mention of Crisis at one point um, because because, you, uh, well, no, I don't want to spoil anything because people might not have watched it yet. So because it hasn't I don't think I don't know if it's like. Well, I guess in the States, it's on HBO Max. So if you haven't watched Superman and Lois, if you've been avoiding it because of the way that we talk about CW shows in general, don't. Don't avoid yeah, it. Yeah, Superman reason, and Lois is phenomenal. The reason people aren't watching Superman and Lois is because of our our non-recommendations. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like you've got to have a well, million other reasons. But, okay, the reason I'm not watching Superman and Lois is because I don't have time and I keep forgetting to record it. On... You don't need to record it. it. You should just be able to stream it on something no not, not yet really. not, not i'm sure it'll yet. be on crave at some point i it'll be on I, crave at some point in time i'll get in it any eventually. case maybe it's maybe it's there anyways they've gone out of their way to be like this there. isn't the other heroes are not going to show up on this um and the only reason that diggle did is because they don't need to because it's they don't need to because it's superman yeah. and he has his own his own anyways that's it's a very what, good show it's good. Let's talk about Dune. Let's talk about Dune. We can talk about Dune. Are we done? Are we? Did we exhaust everything else? I feel yeah. like there was something else that came up in my brain as we were talking, and I was like, "Ah, oh, that's not important." Anyways. Okay, this is a this is from the internet. It's a great it's a great quote. Um, <laughs> in a movie. Okay, so explain Dune in one sentence. This is like a tweet that came from Dune movie, and this is great. In a move so unsurprising, there is literally an eons-old galactic prophecy about it. Powerful, horny men are unable to peacefully share a planet made of cocaine. <laughs> I just think that is yeah. absolutely yeah. a great tweet. So thank you for that. I don't know. I follow these weird groups on Facebook that just post, like, images of tweets. Mm-hmm. so i actually like read it on facebook but it's it's like august rather than being on twitter, on twitter. I... rather than being on twitter and engaging in the conversation there but anyways i don't know is that is that an accurate description <laughs> i think so yeah yeah i think so i i we went and saw dune last thursday on opening night yes uh, uh together I, I, and I, and, and we suffered through the pleasurable experience that is denis villeneuve's dune i i yeah and that's the best way that i can put it accurate statement so this is the this is the context for me yeah i hadn't i had i have sort of like actively avoided dune for many years because it was on the periphery and i knew that it was an important piece of pop culture but i just haven't i hadn't been drawn to the movies and i literally i've talked about this many many times but i literally like for a long time equated doom with tremors because they both take place in the desert and have worms. And so I just had seen tremors and that is like the essence that I carried around with me whenever it came to Dune. And I was like, you know what? This movie's coming out. I feel like I should know what's going on with it. 
I am going to read the book. And I was in the bookstore like three weeks ago. And I was like, are you going to get Dune? Do you think you're going to read it? It's like an 800 page book, Amanda. You're not going to read it. And then I impulse bought it at the like last minute. It was like the last thing I did. And then it sat on my shelf for a while. And then a week before, so on the Saturday before Thursday, I picked it up and I was like, I can, I can do this. I can read this <laughs> in a week. And I did. And I'm so proud of myself. And here's the thing. I don't understand how I haven't read it previously. And also it's like so hardcore sci-fi. Like it's just so awesome that I don't understand how people who haven't read the book understand the movie because watching the movie, I'm like, isn't this really boring for everybody that doesn't understand what he's trying to tell us? Because the, there's the nuance of a book, right? Because they have all, they can tell you everything in a book and the st- and they had to just, and he had to just show you. And I think he did a beautiful job of showing a lot of stuff that is important. And so I'm, I'm really curious. That's what I wanted. That's what I've really wanted to talk to you about. And I sent you a link to the, the, yeah. his breakdown of the Gom Jabbar scene. I don't know if you wound up watching that. I did. I did. Yeah. But the, the thing for me is that like Denny Villeneuve is that's, I think how you say his name, um, that he had such a reverence and a love for the book when he was younger and that that's come through in like all the choices he's made. You can really feel that. And as as a lover of Dune for the last two weeks, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm really pleased. But I also, like, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's. I made a choice to go into that movie now like I, I read it before instead of after. And I don't know what, I, I just think that that's such an interesting, like, what the other version of myself, if I had not read the book, what I would have felt about this movie. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to, I want to ping you about it because you had watched the other Dune. So you knew what Dune was. Yeah. So I, because I, of the movie, I know it, I know it pop culturally, the spice must mm-hmm. flow, uh, you know, fears, the mind killer, uh, you know, like all that stuff. Um, sandworms, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I, I know it, like many people, whether or not you want to know it, because Dune influenced so much of the sci-fi that came after it, specifically Star Wars. Um, And George Lucas has been like very clear about that. The reason why Tatooine is Tatooine is because of Dune. Um, And I mean, like, like that, that is the thing about Star Wars is that star, like people, people often, talk about George Lucas like he's a true original. Um, but what they don't realize about him is that like all of his work is pastiche. It's not like he's <laughs> it's not that he's never had an original thought because he definitely has. But but I think that that George would be one of the first people to admit that everything he's ever done is fan fiction. I <laughs> I love that. Yep. Star Wars is Flash Gordon fan fiction mixed with Dune and Star Trek and uh, uh, Heinlein and Asimov and Metropolis and every piece of media, science fiction media that he ever consumed is in Star Wars in some form or another. It is literally a patchwork of all of these things. Dune is a major influence on it. And the crate dragon skeleton that we see in, in uh, uh, a new hope as R2 and 3PO are walking through the desert uh, is, is meant to be 
a sandworm. Like that's so when we see the crate dragon in the Mandalorian in season two, and it is a sandworm for all intents and purposes, right? But with like sort of these other Star Wars isms and crate dragon stuff from you know, 40 years of, of Star Wars storytelling and, and other media uh, all sort of being mixed together. It's like it the one of the great things about that sequence in Mandalorian is is that it's like it's almost the realization of George's original dream, which was to have this Dune reference in Star Wars. Right. Uh, and there's so there are so many things like that through uh, all sorts of different I mean, like Beetlejuice, the the sandworm like there are sandworms in Beetlejuice. They are a direct reference to Dune. Right. And it's a completely different context. They're completely different creatures. It's nothing to do with Dune, except for the fact that like the idea of it very much comes from that inspiration point. And th- there are a bunch of different things from within Dune that, that wind up another thing. So I think that like we all actually have way more familiarity with it than we realize that we do. That said, I've seen most of the 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 uh, David Lynch one. I David Lynch movies are kind of I David Lynch in general. I just kind of it's not my thing. It's a little bit. It's, he's just a little bit too uh, high on his own supply, in my opinion. Uh, it's, it's it's like Tim Burton without the fun. And you guys should know that I'm not a huge Tim Burton fan either. Um, I it's like it's like Tim Burton movies that are truly depressing, not just kind of mostly depressing like Tim Burton movies are. I I so they, these guys just needed to be hugged as children. Um, but my my the majority of my familiarity with Dune comes from the sci-fi miniseries from from the late '90s, early 2000s, I which I loved. I and so is I. It- Here's the thing. You keep calling it a miniseries. Yeah. And I saw it as a movie. Like I found it as a movie. Like I didn't actually watch it, but I don't see it as a movie, as a, as a, as a miniseries. I see it as a two and a half hour movie when I go to look for it. The first one is so the the dude from Twilight Zone or whatever. Yeah. So, so this is, so this is the way that they did those back then is that it's like, yeah, the first time that it aired, they would air the whole thing. And then they would break it up into chunks. So you could like, you could, you could watch it as a movie and like, and the space channel would do this as well. There were where they would like air it as a movie sometimes like, like on holidays and stuff. It's like, Oh, we're going to do the Dune uh, marathon thing. And it's like, okay, so we're going to, we're going to play all of it. Cause I think there are two of them. Right. Um, uh, that are in that, that series. I, uh, but then they would break them up, I think, into 40 minute chunks um, and oh, then and basically okay. play them with commercial breaks as as a as a like as a TV show. So it's like like I remember they would do it where it's like, oh, on, on Sunday night, we're going to like it's the premiere of 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 Frank Herbert's Dune. Um, and then oh, the, by the it's way, like I meant Twin Peaks, not Twilight Zone. <laughs> OK, yeah. Uh, no, that's the, that's the movie. That's the, that's the that's David the Lynch. Okay, then that's the one I'm talking about. No, that, that's not what I, that's not what I watched. So the, the Frank movie. Herbert's Dune, I've seen most of that, but Frank Herbert's Dune is like a, it's, yeah, it's a three part miniseries. And I think that there, I think it's three, gotcha. 
40 minute oh no they're they're an hour and a half each they would break them up though like space would air these in like 40 minute chunks so like they would play this over like two weeks they they would play like these three parts um and there are there are two of them because there's dune and then and then children of dune um which is like the second half of that story and uh i um oh man who is it who is it that's in it uh james mcavoy i uh is in it yeah is in the second one um as as uh, i see here's the thing and i tweeted about this are there dune spoilers how can there be spoilers for dune that's been there should be because i need to read the next book because i can't i'm like I don't so don't spoil things for me but also because I've read the I've read the because the movie this is maybe the first thing are we going to go into spoilers on this about Dune because the movie is just one part of what needs to at least be a two-part movie because it doesn't even get halfway through the book Dune and that's the weirdest thing is because and somebody was saying I went with Charlotte and she or no wait was it you that said it no it was you that said it that it stops after the second act. Like it doesn't get to the third act. Like you don't, the resolution yeah. doesn't come for, for what's happening. So it stops at I the just, beginning of the so second weird. act, right? Like, like it, yes. it's, yeah. it, yeah. if in, in the hero's journey, it stops at him cr- crossing the threshold, right? Yeah. Like that's the end of Dune yeah. part one is he crosses the yeah. threshold and then it's like, Oh, now the adventure begins. Everything yeah. up until that point was all him rejecting the call like meeting with the guy like 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 all like so many of these things like in a in a classic hero's journey it's like he's 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 at the point where it's like he's gotta meet his mentor and blah 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 and all of this stuff and it's like it's all of the stuff before luke even like says i'm gonna come with you to alderaan <laughs> right like like there's well, nothing yeah left yeah, yeah. they're here. still on tatooine right? yeah they haven't yeah. left tatooine yet they haven't met han solo yeah, <laughs> yeah. um so yeah, Who's it's Han it's solo in this situation. Oh well, no, I so I'll take I take that back. They just walked into the cantina. They just walked yeah, into okay. the cantina because okay. in this instance, okay. uh, uh, Chani is is Han Solo because okay. she's the one who's gonna who's gonna take them into this larger world, right? Like, I I, I like that you give her that much credit. It's Stilgar. I feel like sure. Okay, Chani. I hope no. I hope because it's Zendaya that she does become better than the. I'm really, I'm really struggling. Okay, so we first of all, before we go forward, we have to yeah. decide what kind of spoilers we're giving on this. Let's okay. Podcast. We're gonna get into full spoilers in one minute. Before we do that, should people go see Dune? Well. I have seen it twice already, so I am of the mind that, yes, it's beautiful. I wish that I had HBO Max up in Canada. I would watch it every freaking day. I don't have HBO Max. I'm going to keep going to the theater. So. Yeah. I don't Um, know. Yeah, I think think like a lot of movies that come out and are a big deal and are a cultural shift, um, whether you're going to like it or not, I think it's worth going to see so that you can be part of the conversation. I am one of those types of people that wants to be a part of the conversation, good or bad, though. So uh, I think you, that you could if wait you feel and watch compelled it in that same way. Out. Sorry? Yeah. Like, I feel like if you are a, are a completionist, wait till yeah. the second part comes out so that you can actually watch a complete movie. 
Because I would say wait until the second you, one is actually announced because... Yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I really... It'll be very upsetting if they don't make another one because it's a it, half a, it's half a movie. It had a very good opening. I but and and so there were a lot of people who were like, "Oh, Monday morning they're they'll announce that that part two is going into production," and they didn't. It, we have not gotten that yeah. news yet, and I think it's because yeah. WB is waiting to see what week two looks like because we're not talking about like, okay, did the movie have a good opening? It had a good opening. That's it. It had. It had it's a, if it can a, sustain itself on HBO and Max and all of that stuff. It's like a it's hybrid. the HBO Max component, and it and let's see what week two looks like because week two on a movie like this is going to say a lot about whether or not people are going to go see a sequel because right. word of mouth has gotten out. A lot of people have talked about it, and and now we get to see if the wider audience says. Okay, yeah, I will check that out now that I've gotten recommendations from friends. Or is the fact that it's like weird, esoteric, very, very hard sci fi, and it's long and it's slow and it's only the first act and a half of a story? <laughs> Are people actually going to? to buy into that is is the general audience going to buy into that because i think that like i think people like us definitely will enjoy it i think that people within the sound of our voices will will definitely find something to enjoy look the ticket price is worth it alone for oscar isaac and jason momoa like like they're wasted uh, like retweeted something today that's like i watched I watched Dune for the plot and it's like the plot and it's just like a bunch of pictures of Oscar Isaac. Yeah. It's like, and it's like, he's naked in the movie. I don't know if we, if yeah. people, is that a spoiler? I feel uh, like you can No, no, because don't give any more context than that. It, but yeah, he is okay, naked I'm in the movie. Not. Um, <laughs> uh, not, hmm, not naked enough. I mean, Can I, am right, I allowed to say that? Not, you are, <laughs> you are allowed because I was going to, I was going to be like, well, yeah, it actually kind of it actually kind of is the only part of the movie that pissed me off, which this sounds like I'm being <laughs> lewd and like I'm making a joke. I this I mean this in the sense of like it goes so hard in every other aspect and then it pulls back because it's like, well, we can't have a penis. Right. And it's <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, it's like you got. But. But you got almost everything else in this, you know. Um, I don't know. The violence isn't too isn't too off the wall. Like it's it's actually pretty pretty tame. Yeah, in terms I, of yeah. I mean, they do sort of blur out a lot of the head chopping. So. Yeah, it'll get there in the next one. It'll get there in the next yeah. one. It'll get brutal and it'll get it'll get much more violent in in part two. Should part two happen, yeah. but. Um, I uh, but yeah part part one definitely sort of pulls punches in that not pulls punches but definitely doesn't get into that aspect of this world just yet um I uh, but yeah it was that one place where it was like it was it it was noticeable in its absence let's put it that way I I it was yeah, yeah, I don't know. It was very strategic nudity. It was like Austin Powers. It's it's and that's always the way that it's gonna be when you have a what? shot like that. You know, like in Austin Powers when he first wakes up from the cryogenic sleep and he's naked oh, and right. there's like the whole yeah, sequence yeah, 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 where it's yeah. just a bunch of things blocking 
his junk uh, as as they yeah. sort of like move through the scene. Um, classic '90s fair to reference yeah. right a there. Of, a lot of awesome powers references lately. I don't like the. I don't. Uh, yeah. I don't like Weird. the idea that we're close to Austin Powers coming back in some fashion. I don't need it. <laughs> yeah. No, that's upsetting. I, I don't need it. I don't want it. The yeah. last thing I need is a bunch of people who think they're funny doing Austin Powers references for the next five years. God, that was an awful time. It was just like <laughs> we had to, we just had to tolerate it at a certain point. It's like, yeah, you can do a bad Scottish accent. Congratulations. You can you can you can make did that overlap with Borat? I feel like there was some there was some. No, I feel like really one 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 there. broke way to the next, you know. To the next. I, yeah. uh, I, yeah. I say go see it. Go see this movie. We're gonna get into full spoilers. Yeah. We're in full spoilers now. I, uh, and I'm I'm gonna start off full spoilers with not really a spoiler, just uh, a Stellan Skarsgård steals this movie in his. <laughs> He's he not in it that much. Like, like yeah. I, I, he's only got three scenes. I yeah. think I sort of like went like, cause rewatching it a second time made me like really try to like pay attention, but he really like, he's in a few things, but he's got like three main scenes. Basically he's got the sweat one. Oh no. Four. He's got the sweat one. He's got the eating one. He's got the one where he's raises out of the chair and it's like, Hey, is like in his suspenders. Yeah. And then, uh, and then he's in the bubbles in the, or in the, um, goop stuff those are like the four like iconic things that i remember from yeah this. and they're all so gross it's great oh he's so good know. and just like really the portrayal good. of the character the realization of of like the grotesque nature of 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 uh baron harkonnen is just like other the other incarnations definitely they definitely got it across they definitely got across that that you know the Harkonnens are gross. They're disgusting. In the in not in the sense of like ew yucky, but in the sense of like like that is the point of them. They are yeah. they are uh, corporate greed in excess, right? Like they're that's that's what they represent in the story is like like just like gluttony and greed and just sort of all of the vices um, made manifest in this one disgusting man i i and and his his outer appearance is meant to match that in a certain way and so like i'm kind of i'm kind of being careful in the way that i talk about it because this is like if you remember when we talked about harry potter years ago my biggest issue with the books and i'm gonna go ahead and say it now i think i was a little bit ahead of my time i was i was picking up on some vibes with JK Rowling that I think other people were ignoring Um, in the way that she like, like she always made the bad guys in Harry Potter, ugly and fat, like, like, and made a point of it that like, Oh, the Dursleys are all fat, right? Oh, they're bad guys. Cause they're fat and they like thing. They're greedy. And you know, uh, Dudley's always eating stuff. He's a, he's a, he's, he's, and, and yeah, uh, Hagrid turns him into a pig, right? Like he, like he gives him the pigtail or whatever. I uh, and it's like, oh, because he's a gross pig, so he gets a pigtail because fat people are gross. I don't want to like. I don't want that to sort of be the message of what I'm getting across. Baron Harkonnen goes past 
obese into like i uh, uh, like like monstrosity territory and it's not just it's it's a the the um i can what do they call it the the like the harness right that the like his anti-grav suspenders his yeah. suspenders yeah, yeah. like the, yeah. which is like like this thing that like like we see the we see some of the soldiers using them the the um the skirberbers the the bad guy like the really bad ones the the really deadly guys oh yeah it. yeah 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 the sardaukar sardaukar thank you uh it's yeah, it's yeah. dune like there's no point in remembering any of this stuff the, yeah, yeah this yeah, the, yeah. the the skittle bops uh, uh the, <laughs> I love it. Whatever you want to call them. I uh, okay. they use them as well, right? Like and we see them and it's like kind of terrifying because they just kind of to jump down, like jump down silently descend, right? And it's yeah. really cool yeah, the way yeah. that they use it in the movie. Yeah. But he uses one as well, but not as like a dead as like this deadly like ninja assassin tool, but as like uh I'm so rich, I don't even have to walk. Right? Yeah. Which like like I love that component of it and his physical appearance it's not about it being like oh it's gross that he's fat because i think that that would be like a very juvenile way to look at it and i and i do think that previous incarnations have taken a little bit more of that tact with it but i think that the way that they that Denis Villeneuve approached it is much more correct to the text in the sense that like it's not even that he's that he's obese his his flesh hangs off his body right in this way of yeah, like very like it's disused he doesn't yeah. he doesn't he he he's not even responsible for his own locomotion yeah. because he's so rich he has so much money and he has like so much of this technology and 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 I love the eating scene because you just see this moment of like ecstasy as he's eating and he's just like, oh, it's so good. Oh, it's so good. And it's like and he's about to do evil stuff. And he's like, oh, man, the only thing I love more than eating delicious food is being a bad guy. And like and you just get that vibe. And he's so like Stellan Skarsgård just sells it so hard and his physical appearance. And like I said, the way that that like. He had like the the suspenders like they carry him around and he like, he kind of activates it. And I like whenever he activates it, he kind of like cracks his neck and there's like this sound of him turning it on before he floats, which is just such a cool attention to detail and, and, and a cool like performance that, that, that goes into it. Um, and, and then he'll just, and then he just moves and it's like his arms just kind of go limp by his sides and his toes are pointing straight down. And the way that like, when he comes across the table, to oh, to yeah. Yeah. to get into to uh, uh, Duke Leto's face, the way that like he's floating, and he kind of just like at one point doesn't quite float enough, and his foot kind of drags, and then he kind of like knocks yeah. something over, and it's just like, and he just pays no mind to it because it's like whatever, man. I'm I'm Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. Like I do what I want, and I if I make a mess, someone cleans it up. Like I don't care. Cause I don't have to, cause I'm just so rich because of the spice. And it's just, it tells so much of the story without like what you're saying is like the book tells you that and previous incarnations, they tell you that like they go, they go out of their way to be like, Oh, 
oh, like uh, the Harkonnens, it's they're they're disgusting and slovenly, and you know, like he just he just you know he takes what he wants, and he's just such a gross creature. But they never say any of that in this one. It's all just there on the screen and in the performance and in the design of the character. Um, and I uh, and I love it. I love it. And I like having having Batista I I cast as as sort of uh, the the nephew and is uh, yeah. cast so perfectly in in the like um because Batista is big in the like scary intimidating sense, but he's also mm-hmm. and I think it's one of the reasons why he works for Drax as well. He's also kind of soft and round. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he's got he's yeah, got yeah, that yeah, like yeah, bulbous yeah. look to him. And as mm-hmm. as Drax, it comes across as like, oh, that dude's just a mound of muscle. Like he's just like he's just bubble muscles on bubble muscles. He looks like a comic book character and it's fantastic. But in this role, it's like he's he's like that he's he's like one of those like heavy set guys that is like, but that's also that could also like lift you up and throw you through a wall. You know what I mean? Like, like he just like the way that they dress him and the, and, and his costuming and everything just kind of gives him that same sort of vibe so that he, he matches tonally with, with, uh, w- with the Baron of like, you know, like these guys, like they, they have access to, to, yeah, you see everybody out like, like the, 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 the poor people, like the proletariat on, uh, on, on Arrakis. And it's like, they're all like wire thin and underfed and the sun has you know sort of drained every uh uh, sort of like every every bit of their essence from them and they just kind of survive and it's like that juxtaposition of of that of the people of arrakis versus the harkonnen visually and like even like the color of it like the harkonnen are all black and and the the um like in black colors and stuff and the 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 people of arrakis are in uh i'm not talking about the fremens right talking just like about the people in the city mm-hmm. are uh in like the the beiges and whites and stuff like that um of like sort of that like that sort of desert color motif right it's just juxtaposing them in that way to just sort of show like the oppressor and the oppressed and then you have the the house of trades come in and it's like uh uh they're meant to be us right like the average not average person but sort of like i think how the average person sort of wants to see themselves you know what i mean like yeah. it's like they're much yeah, yeah, more yeah. They're, they're aspirational yeah. yeah yeah um because well, they yeah, have they're... to be because because we're gonna see our hero in yeah, like as as one of them and and we want to look at at at, at uh, duke leto as like a heroic figure in a sort of way even though he's part of this system it's like you you want to get you you want to understand why the emperor is threatened by House Atreides, and it's not because they're good fighters. It's not because they have wealth or or power. It's because of it's because of the influence of of Duke uh, later, and that they're right? that they're leaders, right? Like they're natural yeah. leaders, and that and that people yeah. look to them for what was it? They look to them for guidance or whatever it is that mm-hmm. he says. But it's yeah. but that's like really what you get the sense from them that they're really powerful in that people want to follow them, which I think is, I don't know, the best sort of the best deconstruction of that. The more we talk about this movie, the more I want to watch it again. <laughs> it, right, 
I'm it is so pre- pleased that I went good. to go see it a second it's time. It's pretty good. Like it's it's just and here's the thing for me too, in terms of like a spoilerific thing that's like yeah. related to the book, is that so Zendaya's character, Shani, you don't see until the very end of the movie. And that to me too, like I read the book knowing that there was a character that Zendaya played. <laughs> And as I'm reading the book, I'm like, it's none of these characters. Like I'm reading, I'm reading and I'm reading and I'm reading and you have to get like 400 pages in, I think it's like 450 pages or something before they, they meet the Fremens and that's where she is. And it just yeah. is such a weird thing to me that this main character in his life, cause like he mentions her like a, like a girl or whatever is like, she really is only in this latter half and she's so integral to the story but then as it got through part two and part three it's sort of it, it time jumps and so i'm really interested to see what they do in the second part man i hope they get a second part but um i i think it would be really interesting i think that the reason why they cut it off where they did is i, I feel like they'll tell the story they'll tell the story backwards like i think they'll start it with him older anyways we'll see it just doesn't make sense to tell it chronologically because they did that in the book too they time jump and it yeah. doesn't because it, it makes way more sense to talk about it as it had happened rather than as it's happening. So we'll see. I'm interested to see how that happens. So um, so so because I haven't I haven't read the book and it's been so long since yeah. I've watched the miniseries. So in the book. Yeah. So at the point that we're at, we're basically like at mm-hmm. they're about to do the time jump in the book or is that. Yeah. So. um, So how far ahead do they go is basically. They, they basically, the first chapter, the first part of the book is called Dune. The second part is called Madib. And the third part is called The Prophet. Nope. Maybe it's The Prophet and then Madib. I, I feel like it's, I think, I feel like it's, it's Madib is the second one. Cause he chooses his name. Like he, that's what he calls himself. Paul Madib. Yeah. And then, and then the last one is The Prophet. And so it basically is when he sort of, he's becoming a Fremen in the second book. Um, and now I'm now I'm really in my head trying to be like I I think we do go on that journey with him. I'm so the time jump is is a little bit off. Uh like a little down the line because he still mm-hmm. has to go and be integrated into the Fremen society and his uh, the second book is really a lot about Jessica and her integration and uh like uh and and his sister and stuff like that. Um but they basically they time jump. You never see his sister born in the book you mm-hmm. she's the mom is pregnant and then the time jumps to two years later and the sister is born so like that it's not like a huge time jump but it's like enough it's enough that it's like a prophecy like it's i don't know it's really it's really good the way that they i don't know i'm oh man but um the thing that's interesting for me is that I really looked at, I paid attention to the flashbacks the second time I watched it because there was a couple things that I had missed. And one of them is the, the Javis character. So the, the guy that at the end that he kills, um, there's the first flashback, right? Where, where, or the first sort of future premonition thing that he has, he sees Javis as this guy. And the, the thing that he's saying is like, I will guide you on this journey and all this. And I'm kind of like, wait, who's this guy? He's not in the book. Like there is no guy that sort of does that for him. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is exactly, no, it's so true. Him killing Javis. Javis does everything about his life follows Paul as he is Madib. 
like in the Fremen society. He is connected to Javas the whole way through. And that is such a beautiful way of showing that, that it, it really, it is true. He does show him the way, but in, in, in that battle and in, in having to kill him. And then the second thing that I, that I missed and I'm sort of mad that I did was Mm -hmm. the idea of um, the, you have to like Paul Atreides has to die. And if you, and, and when you kill a man, you kill yourself. And that is something like, I missed that sentence in the like sort of, a mysterious like voice thing that was going on in his head and that like that that really is like what they what they bring up to and like sort of this this movie I know that I'm talking about it as if it's a piece of a movie but when you really do look at it as his journey like who he is and when you look at it just as this sort of character driven narrative Paul does start as this sort of kid that doesn't really understand what's happening to making an active choice to become something else mm-hmm. and that is sort of quite brilliant and and quite and uh quite poignant and there's a lot of um i don't know i think brilliance in how they were able to do that there was multiple times where i remember i remember looking over to you while we were watching the movie i like going to movies with you mike and i don't go and watch a lot of movies and then talk about like we 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 sort of like pick and choose the ones that we go to so it's kind of nice um but I remember looking at you and being like, how long is this movie? Because mm-hmm. I didn't know where they were going to end it. Like, I, I kept being like, what are they going to yeah. do? What's going to be the end point? And at one point, I thought it was going to be in the tent. Like, when he freaks out at Jessica. Because he has the, like, visions or whatever. And that would have been a terrible place to end it. That's why. But but it also, it was a shift. Like, that, in a, in a movie that doesn't really have a climax, that is the climax if you look at the movie as a story of, this boy and his journey because that is the fu- like that is the battle he has this revelation and this understanding of the way forward because he's surrounded by like he got a glimpse of of this sort of future reality when he was first exposed to the spice and then in the tent and surrounded by it and dealing with the death of his father and having to make a choice like that really even though he doesn't see the 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 death and even though some might think that that's not a climactic moment. Like that really is, that's the climax. That's the crux of the journey. And then he, he, he sort of shifts and the way down, like really literally he comes out of that tent and sees the, the Madib, the little mouse. Right. And so that is sort of the, the moment that it, it becomes something has to stop him from becoming that like himself. Mm -hmm. He has to stop himself. Otherwise the path forward has already been, chosen from like the moment he gets out of that tent and starts to and starts to head towards so i just i don't know and i'm just discovering this as i talk about it this is why i love talking about stuff as we go um because i think like really reshaping it and being like it really is the story of this kid and and figuring out if he's gonna make this choice he knows that this choice leads to violence he knows that he's inciting holy war just in being who he is and that that's that's an active choice in when he kills when he decides to kill Javis rather than be killed like he knows he knows that it's that he's he's got he can't turn back now I don't know I it's worth watching I mean hopefully you've seen it now if you're listening to this part of it yeah but uh yeah if you're listening that that was that was the brilliant part for me and the the part that I think that they did so well and I don't know if you caught on to these nuances well, no, you probably did again because it's it's like the movie the storytelling narrative was all there but the the still like Stilgar and the, who's that? That's Javier Bardem, right? Who's just uh he's only in what like three scenes, but he's so good in this movie. All the whole cast is ex- extraordinary. But 
his reaction because his relationship to Paul in this in the second parts and third parts of the book is so is so important, right? Because he's this sort of leader, but he's a leader because Paul lets him be a leader, right? Like it sort of it, it like as it evolves. And um, but you see that like when he's when he's saying to Jessica, right? He's like, is he toying with him? Like, what's going on? Like, who is this kid? What's he doing? And she goes, Paul, he's never killed a man. And the the look like when Stilgar looks back at the like looks back at Paul and looks back at this fight, there's just this amazing comprehension. Like this, the he did such a good job of understanding the gravity of what was happening. Mm-hmm. And I the thing that I'm interested in is that they, they haven't gotten to the part where they actually take his water. And that ceremony is a, is a important, is important. Actually, no, I'm now, I'm now realizing they're not going to time jump. They're definitely going to go it in chronological order because there's like a whole, there's a whole set. It, it definitely is going to be about his relationship with the Fremen and, and him and, and Zendaya's character. And um, because that ceremony where they're, uh, where they take his water and it's really important. And it, it sort of is a shift in, in him crossing a threshold, but also being who he is. And anyways, it's going to be interesting. I don't know. I feel like I've talked a lot now about, <laughs> about some random characters. No, it's good. So it's good. It should be. Uh, I mean, I talked at, I talked at excess. I, so one of the, one of the last things that I want to say, I, I want to make sure that we get into this episode on watching that uh, notes on a scene the Vanity Fair video mm-hmm. that, that you sent me mm-hmm. um, that everybody should check out if you enjoyed the movie. Just go to the Vanity Fair YouTube channel. It'll be pretty high up on the on the mm-hmm. recent stuff. Mm-hmm. It'll probably be featured, I, I would imagine, somewhere. Um, but, uh, but just look it up, Vanity Fair Dune, and I'm sure you'll find it. Um, the... He, he's, he, he's talking, and he's talking, and, he's, and I love it. I love listening to great directors talk about their storytelling technique. Yeah. 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 I love notes on a scene. I think it's one of the best things that gets posted on the internet. Um, and sometimes, you know, it, mileage varies depending on the director that, cause then I immediately watched cause it, it brought up the, uh, the uh, Andy circus venom <laughs> notes on oh, a scene yeah, yeah. right after it. And I yeah. started watching it and I made it about halfway through it before I was like, there's nothing of value in this. Um, and it was such a great juxtaposition because I watched Denis Villeneuve talk and I love his movies and I think the man's a genius. And sometimes he goes a little bit too far in places and Dune is one of those examples, (laughs) but he has every right. And I'm so glad that he did. And I love the way that he talks about it and the way that he talks about, like, I made this movie for one person. Uh, and that was his 14 year old self. Like that's that, if he could impress Mm -hmm. his 14 year old self, that's, Success. success and i love that i and like i i mm-hmm. said to you when the movie finished i was like the 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 guts on this guy like the absolute yeah. gumption to make the movie that he made and to put that out and say i made a blockbuster big budget movie and this is what i did with that like i made this slow yeah. plotting methodical intentional film um and most people are not gonna like it (laughs) the majority of people are gonna be like i could have done without sitting through two and a half hours of that but the thing that i love the most about listening to him talk about it in this thing is just how much intention there is in every camera move 
in every note that he gives the actors, mm-hmm. like, like this is the intention. This is what I want from this. Um, there is nothing accidental in that movie. Oh yeah. Not a, not a oh, yeah. single thing in that film is there by accident. Are some of them, uh, serendipitous? I guarantee it. Right. Like, like were there things that actors did that he probably didn't intend when they set out to film it? I guarantee it. He's working with some of the best actors in Hollywood. I mean, like you've got, you, you mentioned it, Javier Bardem, you've got, uh, uh, Oscar Isaac, you've got, uh, Josh Brolin, you've got just like the list goes on and on and on and on and on with these actors. So I guarantee that there were things that they showed up on set and that these actors brought to it that were collaboration with the, the sort of the direction that he'd given and they found things that were even better, right? That's, that's how that art form works. And I get tingles talking about it and thinking about it. Cause it's the thing that gets me excited about film. Um, and, and like, like just this specific type of visual storytelling is that like, it's greater than the sum of its parts. I, I, but that said, none of that stuff made it into the movie without him knowing exactly where it goes and exactly how to use it. And I mean, like he gives props to his editor in, in the, in the, in the video, but at the end of the day, the director is responsible for the overall vision of the project. And I, I like they, they're the one who has to look at the whole and, and look at the individual components and go, I know exactly how much of that we need and exactly what we don't. Right. And does this movie have a little bit, does it go into excess in certain places. Yes. There's probably 15 minutes of, of locked off shots of sand that don't really need to be in this movie in order for you to get across the point that Dune, like Arrakis is beautiful, but it's also deadly. Okay. We get it right. Like, like 20 minutes into being on the planet, we get it. We understand it's been communicated, but we're going to keep getting it over and over and over again. Um, but at the same time, it's like it, it is it it's definitely a singular vision. And he definitely like achieved, I think, overall what he was going for. I love the humility of him talking about it, where he's like, it's like any movie like you, you, you have it in your head and you go out to 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 achieve certain things and and. Sometimes you do in some places you do and in some places you don't. And, the, and this movie is no exception. And then he finishes it off and he's like, but this scene, which is the arguably the most important scene in this movie, right? In, 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 in Dune part one, the, the, the scene that, that the whole story hinges on is the, uh, what, what is it? It's a uh, Jam Gabar. That's what it's called, right? Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. Gom Jabar. Yeah. Gom Jabar. Sorry. I, uh, mm-hmm. It's Dune. It's so hard to keep track of all this stuff. It's worse than <laughs> yeah. Game of Thrones. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, I, the uh, only reason I know this is because I'm a visual learner and I read it. Yeah. So when yeah. I read it and then I watch it, it sticks no, more good. in my brain. Um. But yeah, like like that that is the scene that the whole movie I think turns on because that's the 
it's it's it is our first real indication that Paul is not Luke Skywalker. He's some mix of like Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. Like he's I I see Paul Atreides as much more Anakin than Luke. And other oh, other versions yeah. of the story like I think that the the David Lynch one definitely portrays him as more of a Luke Skywalker hero. And but, even okay. The, the miniseries, the Frank Herbert one definitely like puts him in like, like the hero's journey hero role. But like this one definitely positions him as more of like the Anakin Skywalker, Ben Solo. Like this could go very, very wrong. This, there's, have, there's, a a, there's a danger here, right? About what you're saying. And it's so perfect because I thought about it the second time I watched the movie. <clears throat> Everything that you're saying is correct, except he had two loving parents, one of which stays with him. Yeah. And I think that that makes a huge difference. Like just the scene where he's sitting in the, he comes into the, the court or whatever, or whatever the, the planning room, the strategic planning. And yeah. for Gurney to say something that's like, that's like sort of a jab at him, but also like a, you did something good. Like to yeah. have that support in Gurney and, and to have the love of Duncan Idaho and and to be trained in how he was. And then for his dad to come in and be so proud of him and just that touch that that yeah. that like Oscar Isaac does is just so like it communicates so much. It's so brilliant. Loved yeah. him. It's yeah. just so yeah. brilliant. And yeah. that and that he he knows and he knows who his mom is. And that I think is that tent scene is like the the like his whole world shifting where he's realizing that he lost something. And the thing he lost was, his, was both his parents. Like he lost yeah. her as a mom as well, because she's a Benny Gesserit, right? Like when yeah. she's, when she's dealing with who he is and who he became, like, it's just such a, and you get that when Lido had talked to her earlier. Right. And the last thing that his dad says to him, cause I was like, wait, is this the last scene that they have? It's when his dad like gets mad at him for him like going outside of the helicopter right like yeah. the last the last thing is his dad like yelling at him yeah like which i always ever. think that's like yeah. that's like like a don't ever do that again and him saying like of course i won't like i won't and, and it just i i i don't know i just think it's it's just really interesting sorry you were you said something that made me think oh yeah but the but what you're talking about like the anakin versus luke and you're like there's that darkness but there's also that like inherent light of the atreides right that that mm -hmm. you just That'll always bleed through in things. And we haven't talked much about it on this podcast, but Gurney and, and Idaho are so important um, in his journey and who Paul is. And um, the I saw people commenting that like Duncan Idaho finally got his like due because in the books, he it, it's not really like his death is so anticlimactic in the book, like a little bit. And for him to like that that scene is so great. Like those are Sardaukar and he holds his own. And not only that, but he also saves, like he saves them twice, right? Like when yeah. that thing, like they can't get through the the door and he gets up and he fights them again. Like, it's just, it's just so brilliant. It's so good. And again, they don't really talk. You don't see what happens to Gurney, but I mean, I like, I don't remember seeing him die. So I hope that that's in line with the books because Gurney, um, I mean, again, sp a spoiler for the book, but, but Gurney does come back in uh once he's the Mahdib, like in like at the end of it i think it's not till the prophet i don't think it's book till book three like so he he has a long period of time where he's not there but something that he does like encounter gurney from afar but he doesn't let gurney know who he is because gurney's like 
if word got out that Paul was part, like it wasn't time yet. So nobody could know that Paul was part of that. But what slowly happens is the Mahdi starts slowly fighting like Duncan Idaho and Gurney Halleck. And I think that that's really interesting because he's, he's teaching them all these things. And so when Gurney comes, everybody's like, oh my gosh, this is like, these are the fighting. This is like what we've, we learned from you, even though we didn't learn from you. And I think that that there's just something beautiful in that. Like what is, what is the imprint of a, of a man and, and like a, and a legacy. And I think that that stays with all the things that make Paul who he is in the way that like Anakin's story gets really messed up. I think that there's still love throughout the book Dune. And can I spoil the last thing of the book that I just, this is, this is my thing. This is my thing. Yeah. Dune has been, it's spoiling Dune is like spoiling the end of return of the Jedi. Like it, it, it's you, you probably, you've probably already heard it at some point or like the other part of it is like, you've had your chance. Like you have absolutely had an opportunity to experience Dune in a variety of different ways. Cause there are also comic adaptations there. Like you could listen to an audio book version of it. Like, I think that there are Dune video games. I think that there were like CD-ROM Dune video games or something like that, like like Mist style or whatever video game. Like (laughs) somebody's somebody is saying something about how there's no like computer technology in Dune. We were like, it was written in the (laughs) sixties. Yeah. So it's like, but it's like, okay. So are you? But mostly, I guess I'm asking for you because you don't really remember. And it's not, I don't know how significant, I don't think it's significant. It's just like what's significant for me. And it has to do with the women relationships in the, no, in the, I, in the movie. The thing the is, is that like, it. just like, just like when we were sitting in the movie theater on Thursday, it was like, I, the great thing for me is that I'm far enough away from having watched the miniseries. And also I was a teenager. So yeah. it's like a, a yeah. lot of it was lost on me. Right. So as an yeah. adult, as a 36 year old man, I get to re-experience Dune. So, but like, also it's not like no one story point is ever what's important to me. There are certain things. If it's a Marvel movie or a star Wars thing, it's like, I leave some of this stuff to me for me because it's like, I don't want to, I want to be surprised by Luke Skywalker at the end of Mando season two. Right. Like, like that's, that's great. Right. But, but this is an instance of like, no, I know the overall story of Dune. I know where this is going. Right. So go ahead. Like if it's the end of the first book, then I probably already know. Yes. The important scene that's not in the first book, but is in this movie because it's in the book at the Mm -hmm. end of the book is the scene where he's talking to Leah Kynes about taking on the emperor and where he says the emperor has no sons and his daughters have yet to marry. And that's so important because in the book, the, Every chapter opens with a passage, like a literary passage by Princess Aurelian. And you don't know, like Princess Aurelian, you know that she's the emperor's daughter, but you don't know, like, you don't know who she is. But in basically the last bit of the book is, is him finally, like, basically approaching the emperor and, and, and being like, okay, um, you're going to let me marry your daughter. And the thing is, Princess Aurelian is is quite literary. And so that's like a like a little dig at the end where he's like, I'm not marrying her because I want to marry her or and I won't show her any love. But that's fine. She's got her books. But the thing for me is that like so heartbreaking, like the last sentence of the book is like Chani and him had this like deep like relationship for like anyways, it, like all this stuff. But Jessica was a concubine, right? Like she never married Leto because she knew that Leto 
needed to remain unwed for power purposes, right? And that that was like a that was like a thing that that would was like an act of love, right? Mm-hmm. Because she knew that she wasn't powerful enough for him. And so I'm like I'm like like choking up like talking about this. And that's a thing that like in the in the third book, like Chani constantly like her and Jessica talk all the time because Jessica knows that she's not the right choice for Paul as a leader, but there's nobody that he would ever love more than he loves her. And the last um like page of the book is Jessica talking to Chani and being like, um, even though we're like not wives, people will always know that we're the ones that made Dukes or something like that. Like it's something just about like the power yeah. of these women that support this political game, but also like love the men that they're with. Anyways, it was really good. I just like, I am, I'm like getting like, but it was like, just like the the accumulation of this, like that they're all playing this game, but they all really love Paul. And that to me is such a, like, you can't, I'm, I'm really intrigued to read Dune Messiah because with that much power, like, you know, that something's going to go wrong, but how wrong can it go when you're surrounded by people that like love and trust you? Yeah. And I think that that's, the most interesting thing to me about his story. And I, I want yeah. the capture really well in Dune. I really want them to, yeah. to keep making it. Like I want Denis Villeneuve to like finish this story and like make the rest of it. Like, like Dune Messiah as well. Like, yeah. like I don't know how far down the line this will go. Cause they could go on forever. Cause there's a lot of Dune. It just like, should, it, it can end. It can end after like, that is an ending. Like I don't have to continue reading them, but they yeah. exist. And I'm kind of intrigued to see where their story goes. But it's a story in itself, like it's closed. It's a it's closed a bit, loop. Like they tell his story. It's a bit like John Carter. It's a it is a bit like John yeah, Carter, yeah, yeah, where like yeah. a Princess of yeah. Mars is like a very self-contained story as long as you don't read the last chapter. It's like you can finish the book <laughs> and be like and be like, Oh, okay, good. Um, like it is what it is. He ends up back on Earth on it, right? But then if you if you keep going and it's like, oh, he gets back to to uh, Barsoom and whatever, you keep going with it. Like the more you, the further down the road you get into like, oh, and then their son and then eventually he dies. And then it's, it, the son becomes the central character. It's but like then the there's world. all these other characters. Yeah. And it's like, like it, uh, Dune eventually gets into the same sort of stuff where like, you know, you, you eventually start to like fall away from the cast that you knew into like, uh, the, the, another cast and it like and it keeps going keeps going keeps going like that it's but almost it, like a like a like a sequel trilogy oh well <laughs> um but i i but yeah i mean like i i would love to see it because it's like the the children of dune miniseries just like the the first one just like the dune miniseries as as compared to the as compared to this movie it's like they do their best. It's a sci-fi miniseries. They do their best. They do what they can with the technology that they have. And they definitely like tell the story, but there's a lot of stuff that you just can't do, <laughs> you know, yeah. on a 1999 uh, sci-fi miniseries budget that like seeing the sandworms in the way that we see them in this first movie in part one, it's like, Let's keep going because I want to see. I want to see how crazy it gets. <laughs> like I want to see yeah. how yeah. how nuts. And I read a tweet while we while we were recording because I was looking to see if there was any news today about Dune Part Two. And I just read a yeah. tweet yeah. of like in an interview when when Denis Villeneuve was asked to to sort of like what 
what can you tell us about part two? And his response was, it's more cinematic. <laughs> Which is like, Love it. what does that mean? Because part one is nothing but cinematic. It's like part one, I'm like, hey, can we stop being cinematic and maybe just focus <laughs> on a character for five minutes? I, It's very cinematic. It's you know very... What the absolute... I'm waiting for them to just bust out part two. Like, surprise, we filmed it. Here you go. <laughs> and like drop it in January. Yeah, That would be no. great. That is unfortunately sure? not the reality that we're living in, but uh, yeah, it could exist. It would be, it would be something else if they shadow dropped Dune part two and we're like, <laughs> Hey, we already filmed this movie. You know, the undertaking of making the first part was uh, monumental, but somehow we managed to sneak in the second one. Sneak it in. There yeah. you go. We just used computers to uh, just approximate everything. It's just like 99% CG and there's like one scene. It's just, there's just, it's like, it's like the rise of Skywalker where it's like, ah, oh, we filmed like 45 minutes of footage and then we just did CG stuff to like make them different scenes. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Basically. Uh, basically. Yeah. Anyways, the rise of Skywalker sucks. Dune is very good. It Dune Dune is like the antithesis of that movie, where it's like the rise of Skywalker was like J.J. Abrams being like and Lucasfilm being like, oh my god, they really didn't like the Last Jedi. You guys, we gotta make a Star Wars that everybody likes. And what did they make? A Star Wars that nobody likes. I. Uh, yeah. And then you've got Denis Villeneuve over here who's like, I'm going to make the anti-Star Wars. <laughs> and it's like, hey, you know all that stuff that we do to sci-fi movies in order to make them palatable nowadays? Like all of the stuff that, like since Star Wars came out in 1977. That's like before that it was like we were making like 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is like long and slow and intentional and... Uh, uh, like very like like thoughtful and esoteric is is like sort of the <laughs> word that I go to, and it's like yeah, and we stopped making those kinds of movies because they were super boring and nobody liked them because George Lucas was like yeah, but what about laser swords, and uh, <laughs> and everybody was like yes, please more of that, less of the other thing, and so they started making movies like S Star Wars, and then eventually they were like you know those Star Trek things, what if we made them more like Star Wars, and then everybody was like yeah, let's do that. And so now nothing is like old sci-fi. And then Denis Villeneuve is like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to like slowly open this door. I'm going to make a rival and it's going to be like, Hey, the aliens talk in weird circular ink blots. Cool. Right. <laughs> we'll have some other stuff in this movie. In order I really to keep you like arrival. I, I love arrival. Like it's a fantastic movie. Right. And then he's like, Hey, you guys like Blade Runner? What if I made an even longer, slower Blade Runner? And you're like, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's Ryan Gosling and Harrison <laughs> Ford. Uh, and and you don't know who she is, but Anna de Armas. And uh, she's going to be naked for parts of it. And you're like, okay, I'm, I'm here. I'm awake. Uh, man, because she's like, have you seen Blade Runner 2049? No, I haven't. There is a scene in that because she's uh she plays a uh, uh, uh like a hologram, like a hologram wife for like lonely boys. Right. I, gotcha. I, okay. Yep. It's like like you like you like buy a fake hologram wife who's an AI that like caters yeah, to yeah. your every need emotionally, right? 
Um, Got it. And uh, and at one point in the movie, you see like an advertisement for this product that is Anadarmus, and and uh, and she's like a ten story tall naked holographic projection, and it's and you're just like that's something that is definitely a thing that's in this movie. I, I, it wakes you up at that point in the movie, which you need. Uh, and you're like, okay, I'm here. I'm paying attention. Um, and then it goes back into like weird, uh, 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 metaphysical conversations about robots and people and souls and stuff. I, I, it's all, it's all very artfully done. It's very, it's, it's, it's tasteful, but it is definitely a moment of like, sci-fi doesn't do this anymore like sci-fi tends to be actually very like when we think about star wars it's very um like antiseptic almost when it comes to sex which is one of the things that like when i think of like 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 60s and 70s sci-fi like it's it's hot like it gets it like like planet planet of the apes is a really girls are easy yeah which is what that's a send up of right that's totally a send up of that of that era but like planet of the apes there's a character in planet of the apes that is literally just there as like a hey and then there's a a a a hot chick in a loincloth that we're just got like she's yeah i mean like there's some there's some other reasons why she's in it but but like for the most part it's like yeah well you know charlton heston's got a he has to ride off into the sunset with somebody. I uh, that's how movies work. And so like they just put this this woman in it and it's like all the humans are mute, so it's it's a whole thing. But if you haven't seen the original Planet of the Apes. But that's how movies how sci-fi used to be back then. It was like it was like, "Oh, here like we're going to tell a cool sci-fi story and don't worry, we're going to put a lot of really sexy stuff in this." And then at a certain point like they just stopped doing that in in sci-fi and it became like i think because sci-fi became like like it took over for like fairy tales and so it became like like oh this has to be it's got to be pg star wars is pg we got to be pg right we want to be star wars so it's all got to be pg so they started and it's like but even star wars had it right like leia in return of the jedi like it's a whole thing yeah and we've like we've like totally lost that part of it and i uh, i and it was such a big deal in the matrix revolutions when there was a sex scene in the middle of the matrix revolutions remember like we talked right. about this yeah. like in the and hey yeah, yeah. we're gonna talk a lot about the matrix in the lead up to the matrix resurrection because because <laughs> that and probably before then as well but also mostly no, then. no no but i mean like i specifically i have it in the schedule we're gonna we'll oh, talk about it when we get closer to december but we're gonna Why watch we schedule. We're so professional here at Thunderquick. We're gonna watch the three movies, and I'll okay. I'm gonna let the audience know like when to watch Matrix, uh, 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 Revolutions, and then uh, uh, nice. what's the third one? No, what's the second one? Is the third one Revolution? Reloaded. Reloaded, Reloaded is, is the second, the second one. one. Yeah. Uh, Reloaded yeah. and then Revolution. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're gonna watch them all up into in the lead up to to Resurrection. I. But uh, but it was so like everybody's like, oh, it's so weird. And Fifth Element, people are like, oh, it's it's like it's like this weird thing. It's like, no, that's what sci fi was for a long time. Like it was because it was just it was just perverted white guys writing sexy stories about (laughs) space girls. 
Uh, and Denis Villeneuve yeah. was like, yeah, I'm going to put that in Blade Runner 2049, but I'm going to put it in there in like this really thought provoking, artful, intelligent way um, where you're like sort of asking questions about, you know, uh, objectification and the human body and uh, sexual mm-hmm. desire and all of these sorts it's of like things. Meta- it's like metafy. Meta- it's so metafy. good. It's so juicy. Twenty metafy. Blade Runner 2049 is a great movie. I, I, a sequel to a movie that should have never had a sequel that totally justifies why it exists, which is amazing. Okay. It's okay. ridiculous. Like as somebody who loves Blade Runner, I should hate Blade Runner 2049. Cause it's like, just leave it alone. Just, let that movie exist on its own. And then they're like, no, 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 there's a good reason to make this. I don't know where I was going with all of that. Denis Villeneuve is, is a genius. And uh, you were, you're just I going do, back to I, like that. It's a sci-fi. It's like classic sci-fi. It, yeah. Yeah. He just like, like it's, 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 it's about, it's about the things that sci-fi is supposed to be about. It's like, I, I expressed it to somebody that it's like a doctor who episode. Because the only context that this person would have had is Doctor Who. Like, it's really the only sci-fi context. And I was like, it's like Doctor Who, if you removed all of the fun and adventure that that the Doctor brings to that story. So it's like, you know, like the Doctor shows up on a planet. He's like, oh, we can travel through time and space. And here we are on this planet. And let me explain to you in a in a five-minute piece of exposition the political uh, climate of this location and the setting that we're in really. And it's like, it's like, imagine, imagine a two and a half hour movie that took place in that location. And then the doctor never shows up. It's just, it's just all that stuff that he talked about that, that he shoved into five minutes of exposition and then something silly happened. And then they're like, it's a banana. And you're like, okay, whatever. And it's like books, libraries. It's the greatest weapon of all. And you're like, I guess, whatever. It doesn't really make any sense. That's fine, Doctor. You're, you're, Stop butchering Doctor Who quotes. It hurts my brain. You're 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 you're, you're weird and quirky, and that's what makes you fun. I I. <laughs> but it's like, but the hard sci-fi part of it that was at the beginning that was like, imagine a world where blah 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 blah. And it's like, no no no, that's don't like slow down don't imagine a world don't imagine it here's the world let me walk you through this step by step okay (laughs) you gotta travel through space right and in order to travel through space you gotta get the stuff and it comes from these things and it's all it's basically you you get high in order to know how to go through stars okay are we done or should i give another point give another point do it another point Okay, Do it. about the spaceship scene. Three hour because episode. I, Who cares? In, in the in the while we were watching the movie, yeah, I remember looking over to you when they have the um the carryall come down and pick up the um the machine, and yeah. it like does its thing. It hooks on and it blows up. And I was like, oh man, the like spaceship. And you're like, yeah, they're spending a lot of time showing us this spaceship. But like you did it in a way where you're like, yeah, they're world building. But for me, I'm like, no, no, that's like a story. Like it, it's like, I didn't know what a carry all looked like in this world. Cause I've only imagined it in my head. And so yeah. for them to show how the carry all worked and have it work successfully shows in the next scene when the carry all doesn't work, 
why it doesn't work. And that, remember how I was saying they changed like three things in the, yeah. in the, in the movie from the book. And the, one of them is gender swapping the doctor Liet Kynes, which I think was amazing. What a great choice because there's so few women in this story to begin with. Um, and she did such an amazing job. Um, yeah. But the other thing is in the book, the, in that moment, the carryall just doesn't come. And so they have to go save the men on the, on the spice crawler. Mm. But isn't it so much better for the story that it's that they got, they inherited this broken equipment and that that's part of like the ploy. And like, isn't that a, just a better choice to have it that the carryall breaks, Yeah. but you need to show the carryall in all its glory to be able to show that it breaks. And so for me, everything is intentional in these long drawn out moments of storytelling because it serves a larger narrative. And so for me, I'm like, again, it's, there's there's reasons for everything and i just think that that's that was that was really cool but again you don't necessarily need to see the carryall but i think it helps with the storytelling so i was happy with it so Great. that was that was that was my last point i uh, yeah yeah it's really it's it's a it's i don't i don't know i want more movies like this and i'm happy that this is successful and and i uh, uh, and I hope that that it finds some sort of mainstream audience. Uh, I don't. You know I don't have we faith that it will, Dune, but I want it to. We deserve Dune too because we didn't get John Carter too. And let's just say that cool. we need to make up for like some more sci-fi epics. Yeah. Getting. But it, here's here's the thing. Here here's what I'll say to that. I I'm actually kind of glad that we didn't get John Carter too at this point because now we're almost far enough away from it that like maybe they we could get a John Carter like this. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like somebody, I mean, somebody who like, yeah. cause, cause I, I love John Carter. You got like, everybody knows we love that movie. Um, I don't want to watch it. I don't want to watch it again because yeah, it's like, it's it just, first of all, it kind of hurts to watch it. Cause it's like, uh, we're never going to get any more of this specific incarnation of the story, but it's also like, like after reading the books, the first three books it's a little bit like yeah well it is kind of a crappy version like it's and, and not it's yeah, yeah. it's a good movie but in terms of an adaptation of the source material it it actually does a disservice to a bunch of the source material by trying to be exactly what i was saying which is like a very pg um sanitized version of the story that Edgar Rice Burroughs was telling and it miss it completely misses the point on the idea of him I I this is tricky territory I'm gonna allow myself this because I am of indigenous descent but the term is going native right like in like because that's that's the allegory of it is that like like soldiers that were tasked with, I, uh, I, uh, you know, uh, okay, committing you genocide. A modern reference, like Avatar, the movie Avatar, yeah. in which a white guy comes to yeah, a place, exactly, and then becomes the better native than the natives. <laughs> well, maybe that's a little bit that's, of white savior nonsense, and of that's course why it's Avatar white is. Savior stuff. But, yeah, it's very but upsetting. like, like that's what that's actually what that story is about. And it's actually really important that he's a Confederate soldier for a lot of those reasons, because we're actually not supposed to like him at the beginning. And it's like, there's a little bit of that in John Carter, but there's not enough of it. And it's not treated 
I it's really just not treated with sort of like the the um the caution that it requires. It's sort of glossed over and it's only there for people who know it's there. Right. And for people who want to like really carefully watch that movie. Whereas like like if you could do a version of this of that story. Like if you did like an HBO miniseries of a princess of Mars and you had the nudity and you had and you had and you so good. You dealt with the sensitive material and the and the actual content of the story and you put it into the right context and 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 you had him like not drink a magic juice to learn the language but like actually spent the time to learn it like to watch him learn it and become a part of their society only to rise to become the king of their society and then become the king of mars and like like it just yeah they just they gloss over so much in it and it's like i love it and I love the stuff that we got in it and I love the adventure of it and I love the world, but there's, there is a, it is no different than me looking at Frank Herbert's Dune, the mini series and going like, this is valid and exists. Like I told you said, like, should I watch it? And I was like, it, it's a, it is a sci-fi mini series. So like, if you want to invest your time in a sci-fi mini series from the late nineties, early 2000, like, go for it i guess i wouldn't recommend <laughs> it you know like it I, I definitely enjoyed it at the time but today would i enjoy it that much it's like i don't know that i would you know what? there's some neat stuff earth in there girls like, are i watched earth girls are easy instead and i think that it was genius. the right choice for me a timeless film for all generations it was, come uh, on jim Perry is good looking in that movie he's a and he's a hobby he yeah. is a California boy. I don't know. It was unexpected. But Jeff Global Goldblum is always like Jeff Goldblum is so hot that you couldn't even get is, his name out. I, you just can't. You can't even. I can't even say it. Yeah, because you Jeff, were salivating. I was. We could sal- hear it. I'm so thirsty. We could hear it. He. I. What did I say last? What did I say on the last episode? That is from the area era when he was at his absolute sexiest. And I think that most people oh. became aware of him from Jurassic Park. And don't get me wrong. He's got the open shirt and he's all sexy with the leg splint and everything. It's, it's there in Jurassic Park as well. But it's kind of hidden a little bit. Whereas in Earth Girls Are Easy, it's like we start, he's in that, he's got the blue fur. And then they shave that blue fur off and he steps out. And, and the whole just, point of that shot of is like, is just, oh, I Chihuahua. It is what so a hunk. great. Yeah. He's so great. I like, okay. I will say that I like pe- people like him from Jurassic Park, but I like him from Independence Day when him and Will Smith are like walking through the desert mm-hmm, with the mm-hmm. like, like military. Yeah. And when he's got the undershirt on earlier in the movie and he's riding his oh, bike yeah. and everything. Yeah. And you're like, that's a yeah, yeah. good looking man. I, yeah. Yeah. He's a good look. He's he's a good looking man. He represents the Hebrew tribe very well. Uh <laughs> if only we were all like that. Uh that good looking, but most of us uh, more average. Uh anyways, we've tried to end this episode like 3 times now. I know. We're, we're actually we're, done for real. We're going to stick the landing 100%. this time. Thank you guys for listening. It was a doozy. It, hey, if like, you're in for another 40 minutes, if you've got the uncut version, uh, <laughs> so buckle up for that. Maybe take a break, go get a glass of water, 
I, I, because, because I. Or you're probably listening on a portable device. You can also walk around and. It's not. It's not. It's not lighter fare than this. That's the thing. Is that like, hey, hey, guess what? We're about to get heavy. Uh, (laughs) 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 We recorded it first. I. That's it. So Thank you guys for listening. Next week, uh, next week is a is an off the record episode. So I, I that's uh, you get that over on Patreon for five bucks, uh, or do the annual. Like this is the thing, guys. Do the annual. That's the way I do it with the patrons patrons that I support. Is like if they got the annual option where you can get a discount, just pay it all at once. Just get it over yeah. with, and then you don't have to think about it. And it's like five dollars a month. What's what's what is five times what is sixty, right? And then and then minus. Let me do math on the spot. <laughs> so upsetting. I expect you to be better at that than I am. <laughs> I, I I use Excel spreadsheets. Excel yeah, spreadsheets I guess so. Um, <laughs> I do that, but yes. But then you get ten percent off around there. So it takes six bucks go. off of that. So you're paying fifty four bucks for the whole year. You get like Fantastic. a month free. It's such a great deal. Such a great How deal. Exciting. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Buy 11, thank get you one for free. listening. I don't know what I'm going to talk about next week. I'll figure it out next week. It's close to Halloween. It's, I mean, it's. Like, I guess it is our Halloween episode. So maybe I'll talk about some spooky Well, stuff. technically this is our Halloween episode because Halloween is this coming weekend, is it not? Uh, You'll be recording in November, dude. November. Oh, dang. You're because, right. Because November is coming up soon. Oh yeah, you I guys record got a, that on November You guys got 1st. a spooky episode. You got a spooky episode a few episodes ago. So you did last episode. The last the, episode. Our, our last episode two weeks episode. ago. Yeah. I uh, yeah. yeah, you're right. It's no. It'll be November. Yeah. November second. Talk about talk about the winter blues. Get excited about Eternals because that's gonna happen. That's happening. That's happening next week, man. Eternals is out. Oh, oh boy, so yes. Cool. Awesome. We can't do this. We got to stop. We got to stop. Okay. I'm good. I'm good. We're done. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys in a couple weeks. Stay safe, everybody. Wash your hands and be kind to one another. (laughs) We're done. That's it. No more podcasting. Follow the Thunderquack Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching the Thunderquack Podcast. You can support us in three ways. First, by heading to the podcast service of your choice and leaving a rating and review. Second, by going to store.thunderquack.com to pick up some merch from your favorite podcasts. And last but not least, by heading to patreon.com slash thunderquack to kick in with your monthly pledge of support and get cool rewards like early access and extended episodes. The Thunderquack Podcast is the official podcast of thunderquack.com. Head to thunderquack.com to discover more great podcasts.